0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Twisted Mirror. Before we start the show, I have a quick favor to ask. Can you go and subscribe to Twisted Mirror's YouTube channel? I actually started that a while back and kind of went dormant for a while, but with Google Podcasts going extinct, I finally linked up the RSS feed, so all the episodes are up there. But specifically, I don't have a good URL for it. It has like 10,000 letters because you need 100 subs to get a custom URL, so even if you're not going to use it for Twisted Mirror, even if you could just subscribe so that I can get to 100 and I can have like an actual URL I can share, that would be really helpful. So yeah, you can just plug in Twisted Mirror in YouTube or the indecipherable URL will be in the show notes. I would really appreciate it. I would really like to get to 100. And I do have p- content plans for YouTube that will be exclusive to youtube some more video stuff but i do want to at least have a decent url before i go there <laughs> and let's see what else oh yes a quick thank you to the patrons who helped me produce the show and something a little different we're going to be doing now is i have been making behind the mirrors which are basically where i go through the thought process or origins of each story and I have been doing that for the back catalog as bonus episodes, but from this point on, I will be doing them as after shows for current episodes. So, for example, The Conversation will have an after show behind the mirror that will be uploaded with the original episode, or already was because they get their episodes early. And that will be ongoing for the $5 and up patrons on Patreon. And if you could please rate and review the show, I put a ton of hours into producing this content and any positive ratings and reviews really help because it helps the algorithm, I think, decide who they're going to show the show to. If you like this, you'll like that kind of thing. Um, there's a whole mystery behind that, but I know it helps because when I get like a string of reviews, I do see my listens go up. And also sharing the show on social media or with your friends is a big help. I am just a one-woman show. I have a marketing budget of zero dollars. So the only ways the show really gets out is through word of mouth mainly, people finding it on places like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and then my occasional guest appearance on another show. So I'm very limited in how I can get the show out there. So in if you can share the show, if you're a fan, if you have friends that like the sh- that like the kind of content that you like, i'd really appreciate it. And finally, you can stay in touch with me between the episodes on TikTok, Instagram or Facebook. The links to all that and merch are at twistedmirrorpodcast.com. Now, let's go glimpse into the mirror where the reflection we see is often so close to our reality. It can be hard to tell the difference between the two. Make sure not to get confused, or you may have a hard time deciphering which is which. You are now staring into the twisted mirror. Secret secrets are no fun. It's an old little playground rhyme, but its simplicity holds a valuable life lesson. One of the heaviest things you can hold is a secret. There's something about the human soul that does not like to tuck things away in the shadows, where they can fester. If you hold on to one long enough, a secret becomes part of you a tiny dark smudge on your soul. It's in our nature to want to purge it, to wipe that spot away, and when you can't, it sits there inside of you, slowly taking up more and more space. I can think of one thing, however, that can be worse than keeping a secret, and that's being left out of one, By everyone you love. Secret secrets hurt someone. Of all the things that bring me back, it's the smell. Most of all. Like that old mop smell. Bleach mixed with water. Sometimes the errant whiff of BO or cologne. It's the lights too. Bright and hard. The sounds, murmurs, garbled announcements over the PA system. The racing footsteps and rolling wheels of attorneys shuffling around their paperwork and suitcases, running to meet their clients for a quick debrief before they're called. There is no warmth inside the brutalist structure. Even when the sunlight beams through a floor-to-ceiling window as people wait to be called to see a judge, it's swallowed by the oppressiveness of the place. Most people aren't here because they want to be, save for the couples coming to make things legal and the rare foster-to-adopt success story. No, you're here because you got a jury summons or a DUI or... You didn't get money when you were supposed to, and you need to get the law's help in sorting all that out. Or, you're just a kid, sitting in a chair that's too tall. Every time I walk through the metal detector and the smell of the place hits me, there's an image that always appears in my mind's eye. I'm looking down on two little legs, Swinging back and forth. Frilly socks poking out of dirty white tennis shoes. A kid waiting for grown-ups to decide what to do with her. The disposable. A spare child. No one's responsibility in particular any longer, but in a roundabout way, everyone's responsibility everyone chipping in a fraction of a cent to provide for her. I pass family court every day on the way to my trial, and I try to think about how that little girl ended up right back here. It was inevitable, I guess, depending on if you believe in fate, because I am here. It has been done. But I promise you would have never guessed it. If you knew me just months ago. The system, though, it's like a curse. Once it gets its eyes on you, once you become part of it, it never wants to let you go. I used to think that was bull, that I could get away, that I could alter the path on which that little girl was headed. But I'm here, alone again. A spare woman. No one's responsibility in particular any longer. But in a roundabout way, I might become everyone's responsibility again. Today is the day when I learn if it has me back in its bloated belly for good. The judge asks us all to rise. He goes through some questions with the jury foreman. In those seconds, I go somewhere. A place in my mind I have been many times since childhood, where I separate myself from my being. There, I can swallow whatever life throws at me, like gulping down a fireball and coughing up a little puff of smoke. I know what it all looks like, how if watching from the outside, you would think I was petty and vindictive. My lawyer. Didn't want me to speak. He said it's not worth it that the prosecutors would try and trip me up, try to get me to react. They'd twist my words and intentions. Let the experts speak for you, he said. So I did. He's probably right. But I hope you'll understand how it all happened, how I loved them, and most of all, Him. How something so small can grow so big. How something so seemingly benign can metastasize, like cancer. Vince and I had our closest friends over for dinner. It was an early fall evening with a perfect crisp chill in the air. The leaves had turned... Porches were decked with pumpkins and plastic skeletons. We all sat around the fire pit in the backyard of the house Vince and I had just purchased. In fact, that's what this whole gathering was, a little celebration of the culmination of years of hard work and career climbing. We had done things slightly backward, if you are still into the traditional order of things, got the house before marriage. But marriage was on the way we would be heading to Mexico for an intimate destination wedding come spring. My God, it's so beautiful out here, Rachel said over the sparkling fire. Rachel was someone I had met in my very first grown-up job, but a work friend quickly evolved into a real friend, and 12 years later, she would be the maid of honor at my wedding. I squeezed Vince's shoulder and cozied up against him. Thank you, we're just so happy we got it. The market was just brutal. It was like gladiator out there. I felt like screaming, are you not entertained? More times than I could count. The group chuckled. You're welcome, Dallas chimed. Dallas, Vince's college friend married to Bryce. They were solidly our designated couple friends. Bryce shoved Dallas. Don't be such a slut for credit. Vince smirked. You'd think that commission would be enough. Dallas snaked his head side to side and crossed his legs. Well, that wasn't too bad either. No, it's fair. You really went to bat for us. We appreciate you. I made sure to direct my most earnest eye contact to Dallas. I knew you two had to have it. Sometimes you just know when a house is made for someone. When I saw this place, it checked all the boxes and it just... I don't know, it felt like the two of you. I could picture the both of you here instantly. Sitting out by the fire, cooking in that disgustingly immaculate kitchen. And you know, maybe room to grow? My eyes went back to Vince who playfully raised his eyebrows at me. We were at that stage where people asked about kids. A lot. So you two are starting to look for a house, right? Rachel asked Bryce and Dallas. You want a yard for the baby, I'm assuming. Dallas deferred to Bryce, who rolled his eyes. What? I asked. Dallas bit the inside of his cheek. We're just having a little disagreement about that right now. He thinks we should get the house now. I think we're still interviewing surrogates, and there's no need to rush. Even after the baby is born, they won't be walking for a year. Bryce leaned closer to the fire to take the floor. He wants to live his city life, and I think we should start building community and settling down in a new place before the baby. Once the baby is here, moving is going to be such a huge stressor. Vince sipped the last of his wine before looking at Dallas. He has a point. Yes, moving is stressful, but I do this for a living. I can have our stuff packed up and moved out of the townhouse in no time. Say that when you're sleep-deprived and covered in baby farts, Bryce quipped. Maybe just keep an eye out, and if you find the one, take it. Rachel, the diplomat, continued. The good news is you both won't be pregnant, so that might be a good middle ground. You can move out while the bun or buns are in the oven, and Dow, you'll get to squeeze every last ounce out of the city life. I noticed Rachel's cocktail had run dry, signaling it was a good time for the final course. Feeling the natural break in the conversation, I stood up. Speaking of buns, I'm going to go get the dessert. Guess what we're doing? I pointed at the fire. Bryce's expression lit up behind the wavering orange glow of the fire pit. S'mores? Vince glowed with pride. Not just any s'mores. She goes all out. She calls them adult s'mores. Dallas tossed his hand back exquisitely. Fancy. Vince reached for my hand, his gentle grip dangling off my fingertips. I can help bring it out. Vince was a gem of a partner. Handsome, smart, and always willing to lend a hand. But I have always been particular. If I'm doing something, I like it a certain way, at my own pace, and sometimes an extra hand just gets in the way. No, you stay. I've got the cart. I can bring it all out myself. The glinting flame caught the golden hues in his brown eyes as he secretly winked at me, letting go of my hand. As I walked through the sliding doors from our architectural digest-worthy backyard into our pristine new chef's kitchen, I took a moment to appreciate it all. Someone like me was not supposed to have these things. This life. That fiancé. I was born from trashy people. Abandoned by those trashy people. And yet, somehow, I had found my way into this life. Of fine wine and fire pits by the pool. Successful friends that were like family. Family and a loving, soon-to-be husband. As I placed the artisanal, handmade, flavored chocolates on the wood plank, I thought back to how a Hershey's bar had once been as precious as gold to me. Little folded cards next to each pile of chocolate indicated darkness levels or flavor. I took the marshmallows I had custom-made using real marshmallow root and added them to four decorative stone bowls, each for a different flavor as well. I stuck a little wooden spikes, labeling the flavors into the marshmallow bowls. Finally, I walked to the pantry and pulled out a twee paper bag, jumbo graham crackers from the local bakery, made just that morning. I added the spread to the rolling cart and carefully placed each stainless steel roasting stick symmetrically on the tray. The French press of the $35 per bag imported coffee I had going was just done seeping, and I pressed down the plunger. I added that to the cart with five mugs from a gorgeous set Rachel bought for us as a housewarming gift. I added the printed paper napkins I had picked up from the local stationery shop and the fixings for the coffee, along with some elegant silver stirring spoons. I liked nice things, don't get me wrong, but this wasn't about showing off. I splurged on those I loved. The attention and care I gave to the spread was more for the recipients than for myself. I had spent much of my adult life learning how to express myself with my words, but always found that difficult. These were the things I did in place of that. As I admired the finishing touches on the adult s'mores tray, making sure no detail was forgotten, I glanced up and out the window. The four were deeply engrossed in conversation. I watched as they leaned in close, the wild flames of the peaking fire blocking the nuances of their lips. There was an intensity that belied the tone of the night so far. Hands were gesturing, arms crossing. We were a drama-free friend group. Growing up as I had, you learn to read body language to a fault. I'm always hyper-aware of how others feel about me of the subtle ways they move their eyes or the position of their shoulders or how they hesitate just slightly before saying things. Some of the places I lived required that I be constantly vigilant, and that's something that becomes ingrained in your bones, no matter how much you wish for blissful naivete. This wasn't a fun ruckus exchange. This wasn't casual conversation. There was something weighty. The air around them had gone from light and airy to dense and heavy. Instinct drove me to step outside and find out what was going on, despite the knot in my stomach, an alert from that well-honed radar, indicating that whatever I was going to step into would not be like the cheerful banter we had been exchanging all night. As I made my way over, my mind raced at the possible scenarios. We had always gotten along really well. Vince was the easygoing type, more eager to talk things out than argue. Dallas and Bryce were practically a two-man comedy team, often using humor to diffuse tension while telling it like it is. And Rachel, well, like I said, she's a diplomat. As I got closer... There was no second guessing. I had a better view of resolute expressions, their taut postures, their voices jumbled under the ambient music playing in the background. But just like music, conversations have a tone, a melody. And the tone of this one, the tone was unsettling. As I got closer, Rachel touched Bryce's knee. He stopped mid-sentence and sat up straight, his staid expression bursting into an elated grin as he turned to look at me. Like a conductor leading an orchestra, his body language halted the conversation at once. As if one organism, their tight postures loosened, their focus glares softened into smiles. Vince leaned back in his seat and turned to face me. Hey, hon, need my help? Uh, is everything all right? Vince shrugged. Yeah, everything's good. It didn't ring true. There was a performative stillness as I scanned the group. The undulating warm glow on their friendly smiles reminded me of jack-o'-lanterns, as if their expressions were carved on their faces as opposed to coming from within. Are you sure you... All looked really tense. What's, what's going on? Dallas waved his hand. Oh, nothing, sweetie. Okay. I looked over at Rachel and her eyes averted mine. Ben stood up. Let me help you finish prepping the dessert. I caught Bryce's eyes quickly flashing over to Rachel's and back. It's all done. I was just coming to clear the area. I didn't like the feeling I was having. Like, there was a secret I was not privy to. And let me do that. Before I could insist, Vince was grabbing the empty glasses around the fire pit. This was not a group prone to extended silences. Or at least the silences were so comfortable they went unnoticed. Usually we laughed and made side comments and kept things moving. We were all so busy that when we got together to catch up, we couldn't shut up. And yet, that stiff faux calm persisted. Most of us were salespeople in some form. As a salesperson, and sure, due to my upbringing, I was hyper aware of the temperature of a room, as I am sure they were too. Oblivious, I was not. Despite the performance of okayness, Things felt off, and I knew they felt it too. When I had left the circle minutes ago to prep dessert, we were in easy spirits. It was as though I had left and everything shifted off its axis. As soon as Vince and I made our way into the kitchen, I figured he would fill me in. In fact, I was sure he would be itching too. That was what kept me from pushing the matter any further. I knew I could just get the lowdown from Vince in private. We told each other everything, after all. Tosh, that looks amazing. Tosh is me, short for Tasha, but you probably know that by now. Vince tried to reach for a marshmallow and I slapped his hand. You are not messing it up before it even gets served. Normally, that would have been executed more playfully, but. I was feeling insecure about what had just transpired and by the fact that he was going to force me to ask again instead of volunteering the details. He put his hands up to defer to my authority over the spread. So, are you going to tell me what that was all about? What, what was about? The obviously tense conversation the four of you were having. He looked down for a millisecond and replied with forced nonchalantness. It was nothing. Okay, so if it was nothing, why won't you tell me? Because it's not worth discussing. Why don't you tell me and I can be the judge of that? He ran the sink and rinsed out the used glasses. It was nothing. It didn't look like nothing. Tosh, come on, can't we just enjoy the beautiful night we're having? I looked out the window again. Rachel, Bryce, and Dallas's energies had reset as if whatever I saw happening had washed away. I felt I had to drop it. We were hosting and I could only push things so hard before I'd risk permanently souring the mood. I tried, I really tried to let it go throughout the rest of the night. But there was this ringing deep inside my thoughts. All the laughter, the recounting of stories from the past, the moaning as they bit into their gourmet s'mores. They were all absorbed through the filter of this haze, this sensation deep inside my brain that there was more going on than they had let on. I was quieter than my earlier self, deciding to take in conversation rather than engage. Obviously, my input wasn't important anyway. But even then, I was doing less listening to them and more to the voice inside my head, searching for an explanation. It ate at me the entire rest of the gathering. The more I tried to purge my mind of the whole thing, the denser the fog clouding my thoughts became. At the end of the night, I reciprocated their heartfelt hugs with my shallow embrace. No one asked if I was okay. No one asked why I was being quiet. It was as if everything was normal and it was all in my head. Or they hoped I'd let it go. As Vince and I cleaned up, I continued to keep to myself. But inside of me, a nonstop monologue ran in endless circles. What if it was nothing? What if you misinterpreted their body language? If it was nothing, why wouldn't anyone just tell you? Are you even entitled to every conversation they have? Shouldn't Vince share everything with you? Isn't that what it means to be devoted to each other? How could he have a secret with your best friend that you aren't even a part of? They were acting shifty, weren't they? Should I press the issue with Vince again? Is he cheating? Is there some sort of surprise they're planning? No, they were too serious. You're the odd woman out. They were talking shit about you. Vince was defending you against him, and he didn't want to hurt your feelings by telling you. Maybe he was shit-talking about you, too. By the time we were in the bathroom getting ready for bed... My head was pounding. The unresolved questions were trying to make their way out by force. I just couldn't drop it. Not without some genuine acknowledgement that something of importance was being discussed. I asked Vince over the spray of his shower as I rubbed my face with my PM moisturizer. I aimed for coy this time, hoping I'd appear less intense. I know my intensity can be off-putting sometimes. So, are you finally going to tell me what you were all talking about? Vince's silence validated all my uneasy feelings. Did you hear my question? Maybe he couldn't hear me over the shower, I hoped. No answer again. This time, he cut off the shower. I don't know if he had already intended to or if the question itself made him cut it short. He stepped out of the glass stall and stuffed his head into a white fluffy towel, rubbing vigorously before wrapping it around his waist. I watched him, making sure he felt my anticipatory gaze. Are you ignoring me? Ugh, no, Tasha, I'm not ignoring you. It sure feels like it. Vince slicked his wet hair back with a sigh as he rubbed the fog away from the mirror. I'm not. Well, then acknowledge my question. When I ask a question, I expect to be treated like a human being. I have answered, Tosh. Several times already. No, you have responded, but you haven't given an answer. You keep saying it's nothing, but if it's nothing, then why can't you just tell me? Because it was nothing. I don't even remember what we were talking about. I crossed my arms as I made eye contact with Vince through the mirror. Your memory is sharp as a tack. Now it just feels like you're lying, like you're hiding something. Vince shook his head. Are you serious right now? Yes, I am. It was nothing, just doesn't ring true. If you were talking about fucking Care Bears or the weather, you'd remember and you'd just tell me. So it makes me think something... Significant is being kept from me. Well, are you going to interrogate me all night? Are you going to keep dodging the question? Vince whipped around and leaned back on the bathroom vanity. This time it was his turn to cross his arms. Have I, in the years we have been together, that I have known you, ever given you any reason to think I would lie or hide something from you? Honestly, he hadn't. If Vince had anything, it was character. But the way he was acting, it wasn't Vince. Vince was forthright. We were each other's sounding board. There was nothing we didn't confide in each other, or so I had thought. How could it be that not only did he not want to tell me whatever it was they were speaking about, but that he had chosen to have this exchange with others? however important they may be to us, over me. No, but... Vince walked right past me, turning his body to avoid contact through the narrow opening and out to the bedroom. I followed. I'm feeling excluded, okay? Like my family, my chosen family. I stopped, realizing how dramatic I must sound. I just don't understand why you won't tell me. Because it was nothing. We were just talking. I don't know what you think you saw. What I saw was a very intense, purposeful conversation. Like, maybe you were arguing or... Or what? I don't know. Plotting or something. Plotting? Seriously, Tosh? Vince sat on the bed in front of me, his thigh peeking through the opening of the towel. He closed his eyes and cycled a long breath. He tugged on both of my hands, fixing his eyes on mine. He had some of the kindest eyes of anyone I had ever known. They were disarming. He was the kind of person people would tell their life story to, unprovoked. Tosh, my love, you're doing that thing. You know, you can't control everything. You can't control everyone. We aren't dolls in a dollhouse, pieces of chocolate on a s'mores board. We had had that conversation. But I was genuinely hurt by the observation. I had worked really hard on myself, and I didn't feel like I was doing what he said. I'm not trying to control anyone. People are allowed to have conversations you are not a part of. They don't have to report their findings to you. It doesn't mean they don't love you or care about you or trust you. Why would someone hide something from someone if they trust them? My God, Tosh, no one is hiding anything. Come here. Vince pulled me onto his lap and pressed his forehead against my shoulder. I sat on his exposed hot thigh, and feeling so iced out, that contact grounded me to him. I will never understand what you went through. What it was like to be shuffled around, to live in homes where you were treated like an outsider, or worse. But we are not those people. We all love you. Part of love, part of trust, is faith. It's not trust if you don't trust. He had a point. Sometimes it was hard to gauge what a normal relationship was, what a normal family was. Vince had a great childhood, the kind I fantasized about as a child. His parents were still together and doted on each other. He was the apple of their eye, their golden boy. I often learned about healthy relationship dynamics simply from being with him. I knew how lucky I was for him to want to be with someone like me. Someone who came with baggage. Someone who didn't come from the same world as him. Someone he had to untangle like an endless series of intertwined knots. He was my compass, and it was disconcerting that very abruptly... I felt as though he wasn't pointing true north. Even after years of therapy, it always felt like I was learning about family and love from a manual. It was a language I didn't learn until adulthood, and all the nuances would never fully ingrain in me the way they would had I learned them as a child. Vince, Rachel, Dallas, and Bryce were my only family. Vince would be legally family soon, and we had agreed to be the godparents of the guy's future baby. I thought I had overcome it all. That I had finally become fluent. But this incident, if you could even call it that, it made me feel like I might never fully understand. I resisted the urge to prod further. To beg one last time, even if it was a silly thing, even if they were making fun of me for being such a control freak about the dessert spread. Despite that decision, I still wanted to know. It was not knowing that killed. But Vince was right, I think. Trust isn't trust if you demand full access. That's tyranny. I had to learn that I wasn't that kid anymore, forced to eat after the real family had their fill. I love you, Bagash," he said, rubbing his nose into my neck like an overexcited puppy. It always made me smile when he called me that. I love you too, I replied. This time with the slightest hesitation. He might have felt the recoil, might have thought I was feeling ticklish. I didn't sleep much at all that night, or the next night, or the night after that. I just couldn't stop rehearsing what they could have been talking about. Despite all of Vince's reassurances, I couldn't shelve the doubts away if it was nothing, a harmless little chat? Why the refusal of all four to clue me in? Why the abrupt end to the conversation upon my arrival? Why was this so-called nothing being treated as something? These people have never given me a reason to mistrust them. They were good people, people I had known for many years. Two of them thought highly enough of me to ask me to be the guardian of their future child in the event of their untimely demise. But the question had infected my thoughts. No, Vince, Rachel, Dallas, and Bryce weren't pieces on a game board I could control. But wasn't I owed something? Shouldn't Vince want to put my mind at ease? With our busy jobs, Vince, a VP at a bank, and me, a mortgage professional, during the most crazy market in real estate history, and us settling into our new home, maybe he didn't notice my distance. I had plenty of reasons to be tired and stressed, but after days of running on just a few hours of sleep, and the parasite of doubt continuing to feed on my every waking thought, I texted Rachel. Hey, want to grab lunch tomorrow? On me. She agreed. The bistro I chose was a popular lunchtime spot for white-collar professionals in the area. Tables were clad with pristine white cloth. Utensils clapped against porcelain as the buzz of business deals played as a backtrack. Rachel worked just a few buildings down, so it wasn't unusual that I'd invite her out to lunch when our schedules permitted. We talked about the usual, the new person she had been dating, and the politics of transitioning from online hookup to something more real. We talked about work, celebrity gossip, pretty much anything but what I really wanted to ask. As the conversation went on, it became more uncomfortable to bring up what seemed to be forgotten history to everyone else. When the check landed on the table, I tried to deliver my question as casually as possible, sliding my platinum Amex into the check sleeve. Thank you, I'll get us next time, she said. It's my pleasure. So, I've been meaning to ask. Rachel cocked an eyebrow. You know when you and Bryce and Dallas came over for dinner and I went to make the s'mores? Rachel's eyes narrowed with curiosity. Yes? I know this is stupid, but I felt like something happened. You were all talking about something. The server came by and reached in front of me for the check. I ducked under his arm so I could keep the line of communication going. Like... You were talking about something. Rachel adjusted her posture. <laughs> well, yeah, what else would we be doing? Was something wrong? Are you okay? or are, are the guys okay? Yeah, everyone is fine last I checked. It's it just it's just that it felt like it was something serious. Serious? How? Your body language, gestures, the faces you were making? It seemed intense, you know? Nope. So what was it then? I just felt like everyone stopped when I got there. Well, yeah, you came up to us and we stopped because we thought you were going to say something. Right, but what I'm saying is I felt like you all didn't want me to hear something. Rachel just stared back, giving me nothing, waiting for what I would say next. Were you talking about me? Tash, what? Then what were you talking about? She shrugged. Nothing. Well, not nothing. You were talking about something. You weren't sitting there in silence. We were just shooting the shit. About? Nothing. We're going in circles. Why can't I get a direct answer from anyone? Don't you see how that makes me feel even more suspicious? Because it was nothing. We were just talking. I just... I just don't understand why there's this wall of silence. Wall of silence? Jesus, I don't know what to tell you. Just tell me what you were talking about. I didn't mean to raise my voice, but it was enough for the table next to us to stop what they were doing and look over. And for the server to almost flinch as he continued his impeccable timing by returning my card right as I snapped. Rachel slid her purse on over her shoulder. Tash, it was nothing, she said as she stood up. She glanced at her phone. I have to get back. Thanks for lunch again. As I am sure you already know, that conversation did nothing to alleviate my anxieties. Rachel was not like this. Rachel was friends with the whole group, but she was mine. She was mine the way Dallas was Vince's. I looked down to see my hand shaking. My heart was racing. I could feel my pulse beating in my temples. Something wasn't right. If it was a fun surprise, Rachel would have flirted with that. She would have been playful, cutesy. Rachel was not one to shut down, to put down hard lines, to stonewall. She didn't enjoy conflict and would have weaved the path of least resistance. My mind started spinning hard and fast. It was nothing, they insisted. But then why did it hurt so much? Why did it feel like they were hiding something? I couldn't focus on work the rest of the afternoon, not without getting some sort of answer. The valet pulled up with my car and instead of heading to work, I drove to First North American Bank. Vince was having a friendly chat with a co-worker who was hanging out by the entrance to his office when I walked in. His smile changed shape as he popped up in his chair when he saw me. Hey honey, is everything okay? Yes, everything is fine but Vince knew well enough that I was saving face in front of his coworker. I barely turned to his colleague. Hey, Mike. Mike moved aside, greeting me before politely taking his exit. Vince walked up and guided me into his office, closing the door behind me. What's wrong? Why won't you tell me what you were all talking about at dinner? Vince was visibly exasperated. Dinner? What are you talking about? when we had everyone over, while I was making the s'mores. Wow, this again? Yes, this again. I, it was nothing, nothing. Then why won't you, I'm not doing this again. I just had lunch with Rachel and she dodged an answer too. She's my best friend. You're going to be my husband. If something is wrong, I need to know. So what, you're going around interrogating people? No, I am simply trying to understand why the two people I am closest with in the world are hiding something from me. No one is hiding anything from you. I paced around Vince's office as he closed the blinds. I need you to stop dismissing me. I'm not dismissing you, but you've built this... Narrative in your head that there's some grand secret. You're both intentionally not telling me what was said. That is the definition of a secret. No, there just wasn't anything going on. But you aren't acting that way. You're acting like you're protecting this conversation. I can't believe you walked into my office in the middle of the day with this. You're fixating. Have you called your therapist? "'Don't. Don't you do that,' I snapped, pointing a finger at him. "'Don't make me feel like I'm crazy. Just tell me.' "'It was nothing.' "'Oh, come on. Nothing. Nothing. You keep saying that, but that's not what that means. "'I saw you. I saw your faces. I saw your lips move. "'It is physically impossible that it was nothing.' I'm not some idiot you can dismiss. I don't think you are an idiot and I am not dismissing you. There's just no there there. Why are you doing this? My eyes stung as I held back tears. Vince and I had disagreements before. Any couple does, but this felt different. Vince was my rock the stable foundation on which I erected my life. And it felt so suddenly that the earth beneath me was shifting. What am I doing, Tash? I'm here, working, for us, to help provide this amazing lifestyle we live. And you're accusing me of what? What, Tash? That's the thing I don't know. I just want you to tell me. There's nothing to tell. I can't believe this. I can't believe this, I muttered to myself. Vince reached out for me. Tosh, come here. I drew back from his reach. No, don't do that. Don't treat me like I'm some damsel who doesn't understand herself. I know you're all lying. I think, and I'm saying this from a place of love, I really think you should call Dr. Oman. Unbelievable. I snarled. Then I yanked the door open. Tosh, Tosh, he hissed. I marched out of the bank, torn between playing it cool and bursting into tears in the middle of the lobby. I couldn't even make it to my car before they started to flow. I didn't know if I should trust my instincts or the people I loved. One side was lying to me, one was filling me with insecurity, one was betraying me, but I wasn't sure which. I thought about calling Dallas or Bryce, but I had little faith they would clue me in, so I called my office to let them know I'd be working from home for the rest of the afternoon. I did go home, but I wasn't going to work. I burst through the front door of the home that was a symbol of the beginning of the rest of my life the home I never had growing up safe secure filled with unconditional love the modern great architecture that was fresh and open now felt like a frigid mausoleum I ran upstairs to Vince's office and did something I never thought I would do if you had asked me the night before I would have told you I would never. I logged into his computer. I had the password. After all, there were no secrets between us, I thought. I looked through his emails, his texts, credit card statements, his social media accounts. Nothing. Not one clue. Not one piece of knowledge tucked away that would illuminate the circumstances. Then I tore through his desk. By the end of it, I was only more desperate, more bewildered. After pulling myself together, I put everything back in its place. Just because there was no evidence, it didn't mean that I was wrong. That they weren't keeping something from me. Maybe whatever it was had been kept as whispers between them. I didn't know what to do with myself. Between pacing around aimlessly and cursing and tears, I called Rachel, who didn't answer. At that point, I felt I had no other choice but to find Bryce. Dallas was Vince's and so was Bryce by extension, but we were the partners. There had to be some loyalty there, some sort of understanding between us. I texted Bryce, asking if he was busy. I'm getting ready for my shift, what's up? Bryce was a nurse. I asked for a quick call, he agreed. Our exchange only affirmed my suspicions. We went in the same exact circles. It was nothing. There was no secret. But still, whenever I asked for the content of their conversation, even if it was something as mundane as what they had for lunch, I was met with, well, nothing. And it wasn't just the words they all spoke. There was a reservedness, a coldness in their responses. Normally chatty and warm, Bryce kept his answers short. There was an invisible wall I couldn't breach. It was like they were all circling the wagons and I hadn't the slightest idea why. Calling Dr. Oman crossed my mind, but it was after business hours at that point, and frankly, I just knew she would be part of the chorus to tell me that I should let it go. Or that I should communicate with Vince about how I felt. That looking through Vince's stuff was a breach of trust. All those things made sense if you believed there was a chance I was imagining this. But I wasn't. I know what I saw. I know what it's like to be excluded. To be the extra in a group. I lived it. In the homes I lived in. At the schools I bounced between. I thought I had escaped it, but I found myself in a nightmare that despite all the work I had done, I had ended up right back where I started. I would never belong. I would always be an extra in the cast of everyone's life. I would never have a true family. I would always be alone in this world. When Vince came home, I had lost track of time and was sitting in his office. At that point, I had just been sitting there for who knows how long, seething, ruminating, devastation, birthing, wrath. I didn't deserve this. I was making a beautiful gift for them, showing them my love by feeding them. And they sat by the fire and schemed. I ran out into the hall and tried to regain my composure before he would lay eyes on me. I had no plan. It was all so dizzying. My life was spiraling, and I didn't even know why. Tosh? Tosh, are you home? He called out. I swallowed back as much emotion as I could muster and trotted down the steps. Vince looked not like himself. Gray, like all the vibrance had drained from his face. Can we just put this behind us? He asked. I wasn't ready to, not even close, but I had no energy left to fight at the moment. Let's just have dinner, I responded. I ordered delivery. Vince showered as we waited for it, giving us each space to decompress after a long day. I set up the table and take out containers in the meantime. Eventually, Vince ambled down, his steps almost floating, like he was lost in his own home. Tosh, uh, did you go through my office? I couldn't lie. I thought I had put everything back as I had found it, but Vince was meticulous. He wasn't asking to confirm. He was asking to see if I would fess up. (laughs) The irony. I just stood there like a scolded child. The expression he wore on his face made me feel like I was dissolving in front of him. I'm really disappointed. That's a huge betrayal. What has gotten into you? I'm sorry. I felt awful. I genuinely did. What else was I supposed to do? You're all icing me out, making me feel crazy, invalidating my feelings. Tosh, my God, nothing happened. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going in circles. If you cared, if you truly loved me, you would just tell me. Tell me what the conversation was about. Vince received a text. His eyelashes fluttered in disbelief as he read it. You called Bryce? So? What, I don't have a right? He's my friend too, or am I not part of your little clique? With every reply, Vince inched closer to the table. You're not making any sense. Rachel, my best friend, my fiance, you all looked so serious there around the fire. Like it was important, like it mattered. What is it? Are you too fucking? Did you get busted? Oh my God, how could you even ask that? Then tell me! The look in Vince's eyes. His body went stiff, his face white. People say that, how someone's face changes color. It almost sounds like it's just a figure of speech, but when you see it, It's so clear, how the blood, the life force that runs through us that we take for granted, how it just drains away, leaving behind a ghost. It's unnerving, unnerving enough to stop me dead in my tracks. Vince cautiously looked down using just his eyes. The rest of him was so still panting, my face hurting and sore from all the tears. My swollen eyes followed his line of sight. In my shuddering hand was a knife. I must have grabbed it from the table. I was holding it an inch away from his collarbone. I didn't know, I I swear, I didn't know. Uh, um, I couldn't piece the words together. Vince used the lull to quickly grab my hand and attempt to yank the knife away. I know I should have let him. I know I shouldn't have resisted, but it was like a reflex. I didn't know what he would do with it. I didn't trust anything anymore. It wasn't much of a struggle. Vince is much bigger than me. Once he got it out of my hand and stepped back, the look in his eyes... I knew I had broken something between us, irrevocably. He saw the damage in me. He saw the damage in me. The reason people like him, with nice families, avoid people like me. No matter how much we polish ourselves, the tarnish remains. Vince held up the hand holding the knife between us, pointing a finger up, a gesture to tell me to stay put. I did. Both of us were breathless, disheveled. He carefully used the other hand to look at his phone, alternating his gaze between me and it like I was some sort of feral stray he couldn't turn his back on. As he dialed three numbers. Yes? Hello, Uh, I need police at 8345 Stonewall Lane. My girlfriend just tried to attack me with a knife. No, I I took it away. Yes. I pleaded quietly. No, Vince, please don't. But it was too late. Vince was done looking through his things and ultimately the knife attack. So to be clear, I never meant to hurt him. i put him past the point of reconciliation. Very suddenly, I was dealing with lawyers. I couldn't even get a call back from Bryce or Dallas, and most devastatingly, even Rachel. I couldn't risk showing up to their homes or jobs, my lawyer advised, as any other charges or police reports would not help my case. My job got wind of my personal troubles and said I was not good for their image. So I lost that, too. All the good years I gave them building their business was worth the piss I'd leave on their graves. Vince left the house we had just bought together. I stayed in its cavernous walls alone. I know I screwed up. I know I acted imperfectly. But this all felt so unjust. Where was their accountability in all this? How could they leave me out in the cold? How could they just toss me aside like I was nothing? How could they take no responsibility for the way they toyed with my mind and emotions? I was good to all of them. They knew how important they all were to me. That I didn't have anyone to fall back on like they did. I was left abandoned. Alone with my thoughts. With that voice inside of my head. That had told me that very night that something was wrong. The one Vince assured me spoke lies but he was the deceiver. He said he loved me. He got on one knee and promised to love me forever, to never leave me. All I had now were the material things I had accumulated with Vince, many of which he was willing to leave behind, to dispose of, just like me. But like I said before, None of that really mattered. Not if I couldn't have it with them. With him. I had nothing. That word. But I was at least owed an answer. I deserved to know what was so important that they would throw years away of friendship, companionship, and love. If they had just told me None of this would have happened. After weeks alone, dealing with the frenzy collapse of my life and new legal troubles, I made a decision. I would get my answer. It took about two weeks of watching Vince from a distance. Most days he would go to the apartment he was staying at, but finally he changed course and instead went to La Rialta, one of our favorite restaurants. I can't tell you the pain I felt as I watched through the huge front windows as the gang stood up to greet him, Dallas, Bryce, and my Rachel. My greatest fears had been proven true. I was an outsider. Maybe that's what they meant when they said they were speaking about nothing. The answer was right in my face, all along. You are nothing. It was early on a Wednesday night, so the restaurant was quiet. I stood shrouded by my black hoodie, standing on the damp street, watching them through the window as they chatted and placed their orders. There was an empty seat at the table and I wondered if they thought about me at all. Well, They were about to. The bell rang as I opened the door to the intimate restaurant that Zagat says has the warmth of Nona's kitchen with the understated elegance of the Mona Lisa. The candle at the table lit up their faces, just like that night around the fire. My last moment of happiness. At first, they didn't notice me. They were too focused on each other, and I didn't look like myself, swallowed by frumpy clothes. The hostess asked if I was picking up a delivery. I nodded, never taking my eyes away from the gang, and she said she would be back with my order. It wasn't until I was feet from the table and pulled down my hood that Rachel caught sight of me. She stopped when she saw me, just like she had that night and all the others followed. It was like deja vu. Great to see you all having a lovely dinner. Tosh, you shouldn't be here, Vince said. Don't I know it? Was that the plan the entire time, huh? I shot a glance to Dallas who shook his head, then Bryce who looked away. What about you? My best friend? Twelve years? Twelve fucking years, and you couldn't even call me back? You're all cruel. So fucking cruel. Vince tried to reach for my arm and yanked it back. Was five a crowd? Are you there to be a shoulder for Vince to cry on because you could never keep a man of your own? Rachel stood up slowly. The sharp screech of the chair was like a knife carving into my skull. Tosh, we're here for you. We're trying to figure out a way to help you. Help me? Help me by lying to me? By ruining my fucking life? You're all so fucking oblivious to people's pain. Your charmed lives with daddy and mommy to take care of every need. The second someone becomes an inconvenience, you cast them out because you don't know loyalty. You don't know what it's like for no one to care about you. That's not true, Vince said. You've ruined my life. Wasn't I deserving of another chance? You just left me. The lively restaurant was so quiet as we stood there for a few seconds of tense silence that I could hear something searing in the back kitchen. Vince waved his hand up to someone behind me, probably asking the hostess to give us a moment. I was out there watching you all. You were all having a blast in here. A bunch of old friends chumming it up. You don't care about helping me. They all stayed frozen, exchanging concerned glances. Still, no straightforward answer. It was that reticence that had slowly driven me to this point. Like they thought I couldn't feel their judgment. Like I was the one who was unhinged and they were completely faultless. Just tell me, I begged. Tell me what you were talking about. If you just tell me, I'll go away and you'll never have to see me again. You can all think I'm nuts. What you are all doing is psychological warfare. You don't even understand. Still nothing. Not one fucking word. Just tell me! A hand touched my elbow and I swung at it. The maitre d'. Don't you fucking touch me! Rachel, the only one standing, slowly made her way to me. I know you're all lying because if you weren't, you would just tell me what you were talking about. No matter how big or small. The cruelty. The absolute cruelty of leaving me out in the cold. Natasha, it was nothing. She tried to reach for me, I think. Maybe it was a performative, supportive touch, or she was trying to guide me out of the restaurant. But I swatted at her, just like I did with the maitre d'. The stillness in the restaurant, the rapt onlookers, the stunned men at the table, all at once, erupted screams and mumbles plates crashing patrons running to the door people shoving one another out of the way rice ran to Rachel who had somehow slumped down to the floor he was pressing a napkin to her neck i was floating like i was in my head but not in my body i looked over at vince the only person i could think of to help me he looked empty Dallas was screaming. I started to return to my body, feeling my pulse thudding like a heavy bassline. I felt my wobbly feet touching the ground. And then I felt something in my hand. There was a steak knife. Did I did I grab the knife? I didn't remember. Vince pulled on my wrist and I didn't resist this time. The knife fell to the ground, the clanging somehow pierced through the mayhem in the restaurant. I looked back down at Rachel, who was lying down, cradled in Bryce's arms. In the mood lighting of the restaurant, the pristine white napkin Bryce held to her neck had become almost black. She held a hand on Bryce's forearm. Her eyes were bouncing around, but focusing on nothing in particular. Vince Bear hugged me from behind. Why? Why, Tosh? There was a vacancy in his voice, like the spark that made him, him, was snuffed. I knew now he was damaged for good. Like me. Honesty. That's what this is all about. And now I have to be honest with you. But please understand that I did what I did, holding off on telling you everything, so you feel just the smallest sting of betrayal. So you can understand how I felt. And how my people turned on me. Left me out of their secret. Because make no mistake about it, there was something they weren't telling me. Everything I have told you so far has been the truth. I should clarify, all the events I described took place exactly as I have described them. But there is more to the story. Now, you have all the facts you need, but I want to tell you everything. Otherwise, that would make me a hypocrite, wouldn't it? Vince knew about my past, how my teenage trailer-trash parents could barely take care of me. How I was found in my own filth as a tiny little girl, becoming a ward of the state, passed around from home to home. So often made to feel like I didn't belong, like I didn't even exist. All of that was true. But there was one part of my past that I knew would make me unlovable. One thing I could never share. Because someone like Vince would have never given me a chance if he knew. And in some ways, you'll see, it didn't happen. It was erased. And if I didn't exist, if I was just some spare person... Invisible to society, then did it really even happen? Most homes I had stayed in were just like I told Vince. But when I was thirteen, I had finally found a nice family. They had two four-year-old twins too young to see me as an intrusion. The mom and dad never hit me or made me a living maid or gave the children things I couldn't have. They didn't make me eat their scraps. There were no unwanted secret visits. They made sure I had nice clothes and things so the kids at school wouldn't pick on me. I had finally felt like an insider, an equal. The howls. I dreamt that one day they'd give me the news that I too could be a howl. They never said it, but I was a good girl. I I got good grades. I was always on my best behavior. And I felt they cared about me. For the first time in my life, people saw me. I mattered. I existed. Then one day they sat me down. I thought they were going to tell me that I was finally one of them. That I would be adopted. You could imagine my excitement. And then the heartbreak. Because what they told me was Mr. Howell had gotten a job offer outside of the country and that I couldn't go with them. I'd have to go back into the system. God only knows what my placement would be. I was almost 15 and who wants to take in a teenager? It was all a lie. I was never one of them if they cared about me, they wouldn't have left me so easily. I didn't cry. I didn't want them to have my tears. I just went to my room and shut the door, prepared to vanish into the web of social workers and group homes again. Alone, I cried myself to sleep. When I woke up, I was soaking wet and cold. There was this smell in the air, like dirty pennies. It was still dark outside, but I could hear the television playing faintly downstairs, even through the closed door of my bedroom. Something in my gut told me to check on things. I opened the door to my bedroom, and all the other bedroom doors were closed. It looked as serene and safe a home as it had any other night. But I felt sick to my stomach. You can feel when a house is dead. I opened one door and found the twins still in their bed. I was afraid to turn on the lights. The blood looked black in the darkness just like the way it looked on the napkin pressed against Rachel's neck at La Rialta. But it was all over them, like some evil blob swallowed them up. I got to Mr. and Mrs. Howell's room. Mrs. Howell was in the dark, gleaming abyss of their bed. Alone. I followed the sounds of the television downstairs, the blue glow of Some late-night infomercials lit up the whole first floor. I walked through the kitchen and towards the living room. The sofa was facing away from me. Mr. Howell was sitting there, just like he was still watching TV. The knife was sticking out of his neck. I was just a child, a scared... Child. A child who had never known love. My attorney managed to appeal to the judge who had mercy on me. I spent the rest of my years in juvie, but I was released at 18. My record was sealed, and I worked so, so hard to put it all behind me. To rebuild the life and family the Howells modeled to me. So that their deaths would not be in vain and i thought i did i really did but i have to admit something else about the restaurant the story i told you it's what i told my lawyers in hopes of being deemed criminally insane they could tell the jury about my past how Ever since I was a child, I have had a history of blacking out when stressed. Particularly when I felt like I was being abandoned. That's the truth. When I pulled that knife on Vince in our home, I didn't realize I had. That's the truth. But this last time? I knew. I had lost it all already. I didn't have it in me to start over yet again. I tried. I really tried to build relationships, to give my all, to show I cared, to masterfully speak a language I was taught far too late in life. Just like the Howells, they all turned on me. My new family, my job, they all erased me. Once again, I became invisible. I ceased to exist. All I ever wanted was to be included. I had no other options. I tried to reason. I tried begging. But then I realized... I would have to purge them of it. I would force them to answer for their lies, to unveil the secret that was worth destroying a person who would have killed for them. That type of loyalty goes both ways. And when you break it, you have to pay. They would share their secret, either with me in the restaurant or in a court of law. On the stand. I was even offered a plea deal, but I refused. Because I wanted them to finally give an answer that was more than just nothing. But, get this. I still don't know. When Bryce, Dallas, and Vince. My darling Vince. When they took the stand and were asked, what was the content of that conversation? They all looked right at me. The only time they looked at me throughout the entire trial and said, they couldn't remember. Of course, that was a lie. They knew. They have always known. That was their way of giving me the finger. They would never tell. So as I stand here in the seconds before my fate will be read aloud, determined by a jury of my peers, my thoughts are not of will I be deemed insane or guilty or even miraculously not guilty. They are not of whether I will spend my life in a concrete cell, in a blindingly sterile facility, or... Out in the world, floating aimlessly like a phantom. What haunts me now, and may do so until the day I have no thoughts, is that I will never know what they said around the fire on that brisk fall night.